Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook, Driving Innovation, How to Foster a Culture of Innovation Within Your Team. Be sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three six three. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to speak with today's guest. I first met her actually back in August, and I still think about that initial conversation we had and the impact that it had on me. So I know you guys will really benefit from hearing from her as well. She's the author of five best-selling books, Attracting Perfect Customers, The Power of Strategic Synchronicity, Chi to Be, The Power of Yes, How Network Marketing Creates Dream Lives. The Power of Yes presents building your network marketing business without leaving your comfort zone, and her latest, Selling from Your Comfort Zone, The Power of Alignment Marketing. So um, you could probably hear some of the themes of her work just in those titles. In addition to her work as an author, she's a business and management coach, a recruitment expert, and a prolific speaker. She's the founder of Success with Stacey Hall, helping leaders attract and retain a team of salespeople who are aligned with the company's mission and vision and actually achieve sales success. So welcome to the show, Stacey Hall. Well, Elizabeth, thank you for that fabulous introduction. And I'm thrilled to be here and very honored to be invited into your studio. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me, Stacey. I'm just Really glad that we could find the time to do this, and I know that this will be a productive conversation for us, and um, and will add value to our listeners. Before we jump in on kind of the meat of the discussion, I'd love it if you could just introduce yourself a bit. I just shared, you know, the bullets, what people can find on on LinkedIn, but that's not who you are as a person. Well, as a person, I will say I'm I'm a wife to a fabulous man named Bill and uh, mom at the current time to two uh, standard poodles, Lucy and Frankie for short for Francesca and the stepmom to two wonderful boys who uh, live on another continent, actually. Um, What I really am at my core is somebody who really wants to change the world of sales. Mm. Um, There's the statistic of how few people actually make any money in sales, whether corporate or direct sales, has been, I'm just going to say terribly low, you Mm -hmm. know, like 3% of everybody who goes into sales, which is supposed to be the way to make money, right? Because that's what business thrives on money. It's because of the way that people are taught to do sales, works against them and it always has worked against them except for just a few but in this period of time we all live in and whether the future is going it is really detrimental to be Mm -hmm. taught these techniques that are still being taught every day and so that's who I am as somebody who's out to change the sales world oh that's such a a wonderful message and mandate And when you have a strong vision like that, um, that rolls so much underneath the concept. And so I'm excited to talk about what you wrote your last book about, which is the power of alignment marketing. And I'm going to start with the most basic of all questions. What is alignment marketing? Well, you know, the word is interesting because um, I've used alignment with myself for years and years, just internally Mm -hmm. making sure I'm in alignment with myself. And all of a sudden the word alignment is popping up, you know, in many, many places, which is pretty Mm -hmm. cool. And um, alignment marketing is a formula actually that anybody can use. It's not a script. It's a formula to be able to truly get to the end where you find sales satisfaction and success. And so it involves a four-step method of getting into alignment, alignment with ourself, alignment with our brand, and that could be our personal brand or the brand we're representing, alignment with our audience, and alignment with our message. Those Mm. are four areas that must be aligned with each other. And then... Out of that alignment grows a belief in that alignment, a certainty, a confidence, an ability to show empathy to others because we feel strong 
and connected and grounded to ourself and what we're doing and our core values and our purpose and our calling. And then out of that belief, we are able to do consistent activities. And everybody talks about consistency is the way to be successful. Mm-hmm. And people do talk about various ways, right? There's lots of books on here's how you can be more consistent. But we have to start at the beginning. Are we in alignment? If we're in alignment, it's easy to be consistent. If we're not, you can get all the consistency tips you want. They're not going to work. Absolutely. What are we being consistent? What are we doing consistently? How are we thinking of things consistently? Um, That's that's such a powerful concept. And I want to actually take the other kind of part of the title of your recent book, because what I think a lot of people might get tripped up by is the idea of staying in your comfort zone. And so I want to kind of hear from you, why is it that people should stay inside their comfort zone? Isn't it, aren't we all told, isn't it the best thing to do to kind of get outside our comfort zone? You know, people say a lot of stuff, Elizabeth, doesn't mean it's true. (laughs) Very true. (laughs) All right. So first off, I'm absolutely loving the question and I was expecting it because everybody asks me that. Okay. So rather than saying yes or no, I'm going to give an example. Inside our comfort zone. So Elizabeth, tell me if you would agree with this. Our comfort zone is where our core values are, where we feel comfortable knowing what our belief system is. Would you agree with me on that? Yes. Okay. Would you say we're comfortable when we know our talents and our skills? Yes. Okay. And if that's what's in our comfort zone, our (laughs) values, our talents, and our skills, why would we ever want to get out of that? Why on earth? Right. Like... Does that make sense? No, but most people don't get into alignment. They don't get their values into alignment with their talents and their skills. As such, it then makes it very easy for a sales trainer or a guru to come along who is in alignment with themselves is actually staying in their comfort zone, even if they expand it. So we'll talk about expansion is different from getting out of it mm-hmm. and then be able to tell other people, well, you need to get out of what you're doing. You need to get out of your comfort zone and do it my way. <laughs> so now we're trying to emulate or copy someone else's values, talents, skills. And maybe you're one of the few that, actually resonates with that Mm -hmm. but you're probably one of the majority who's trying to be somebody you're not as Mm -hmm. a result and that doesn't work that's that's so incredibly powerful as a concept and i want to kind of sit on this as as a theme for a for you know the rest of our conversation here but first just to go all the way back if you're aligning yourself and your brand and your audience and your message that's going to drive certain behaviors. And so often what you hear from a trainer, what you hear from a guru, what you get from a book or a podcast or a video are the methods. And as you said, the, the person who originally came up with, you know, a process, a method likely aligned themselves and their brand and their audience and their message, but you have a different stack. You have a different set behind the scenes. And so even if you were to try to implement those, those steps, those processes, if you haven't done that work of alignment, if you haven't really thought about how this process fits in to your alignment, it's not going to work. Would you say that that's a a correct kind of assessment of of what might happen? Perfectly said, Elizabeth, that's you're, you're here. The person is teaching you what they say to do because that's what they did. And people are furiously writing notes, right? I'm thinking about these big conferences or webinars, Mm -hmm. whatever, writing notes, writing notes. Okay, I need to do this. I need to do. And it's all head. It's all head thought, right? It's there's no connection to the rest of the self because they can't find a connection to their self. Maybe one thing resonates 
And they're like, well, see, that, that there's something wrong with me. Only one thing they said resonates with me. So now I got to figure out how to resonate the rest of me with them. No, no. If you're only resonating with one or two things that the teacher's saying, they're not teaching you what's in alignment for you. So I don't mean to laugh, but it's just, it's time for us to stop thinking that other people know better than we do about ourselves. Mm. That's that's just such a, a powerful concept. And you see this in, in so many different situations where you try to implement a process for everyone and some people get a certain result out of it and other people get a different result out of it and other people consistently violate the process. <laughs> and I'm not saying you shouldn't have process. I've, I've written whole ebooks on process. I've, I've worked with many, many clients to develop sales processes, but figuring out what are the key milestones, what are the key points of information we need to capture at certain places along the journey does allow each individual to use their own talents and skills, their own abilities, their own personalities to move things from stage one to stage two. And where I see organizations benefit the most from having clear processes is when they allow people some freedom in how they get from stage to stage with just some clarity on, hey, we, we do have to find, you know, this information out from the prospect before we move on to developing a demo environment for them, for example. 100%. And um, I'm going to take it back even a little bit further. And I talk about this in the book as a sales manager or trainer or the person who's hiring the sales team. If you're having, you know, direct sales, they basically choose your company. And mm -hmm. even then, if you're the one who's having an impact on the person, it is really important to, before you ever talk about the product, find out what is this person's values? What do they believe are their strengths? And don't worry about their weaknesses because we're not going to train to the, you know, we're not going to try to strengthen up weaknesses. We're going to find out what is this person's skill set? What do they do well? And then now, can that person find a way to connect themselves to the product or service that needs to be sold? Because Elizabeth, there's a recent study, and this is really, really sad. I believe I saw it in Sales Hub. I talk about it in the book. Do you know that 55% of salespeople identify themselves as not being in the right job? Wow. 55%. And then there's another 20 or so percent on top of that who know they're selling the wrong product. Mm. That's just, that's so hard to do. When I think of times when I've had the best experience with a salesperson, it's when I can tell that they really believe in what it is that, that they're selling to me. And they know that it's going to meet a need that I have. They've, you know, they, they understand me enough to understand the specifics of what I'm looking for. And they're able to connect me to the right element, you know, the, the specific product or service. Um, and, and they're excited about it. And I see so many people in organizations where they don't believe that what they're selling is worth the cost or they just don't understand what it is that they're selling. It's, it's, it's just not something that impacts them. You know, maybe it's, it's a, it's a family oriented sort of a, a cell and it's all about, you know, nuclear families with children and, and all of that. And they are single and happy and child-free and never want to want to deal with that. And they, they can't really speak that language. And I'm not saying that you have to have, you know, 2.5 kids in order to sell a family related thing, but certainly you do need to understand and believe in and be excited about the solution that you're providing. And if, if it's so outside your experience that you, that you can't do that, um, maybe you are actually in the wrong job, but um, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's awful to, to find that out, but better to know and then think about, you know, if I were to look at how I can align, um, how can I find the kind of company that I would be excited to work for. 
exactly. This is, you just hit the nail on the head. That's where the alignment comes in. What do I love? What am I passionate about? What are my experiences? Now, what am I selling? Can I connect my experiences to that product or service? Now, if I can, then I know who the kind of audience is that I'd want to talk to because mm -hmm. they have similar experiences to me. And lastly, how do I want to speak to them? I want to speak to them in a way I'd want them to speak to me if the situation was reversed. Mm -hmm. And in the book, I give a process, you talk about processes. How do you identify that alignment and where you're out of alignment right now with what you're selling so that you can either get back into it and still sell the same item or items, or you can start to look for other things to sell. And, and to give your example further credibility here, imagine somebody who's selling fitness equipment, right? Mm -hmm. Fitness equipment, Corp you know, they're working for a corporation that makes fitness equipment and they hate to exercise. That's me. <laughs> okay. Why are they selling the fitness equipment? The answer will generally come back because it's $1,900 and I make a 30% commission on it. I can make good money. Great. You may get to make good money, but you could care less about the people who would really be a perfect fit for that fitness equipment. Absolutely. And, and there's a sense in sales that I found is just so important over the years of authenticity that's unspoken, that's kind of impossible to, to measure. But when you are talking to somebody and, you know, especially let's say you're selling something that is not something an individual would, would use like uh, logistic services, right? So this is not something that like, I personally am passionate about logistic services because I, I like the logistics of how I get, you know, breakfast to the table in the morning, but um, you understand there are people and there are companies who have challenges and problems that, that we can solve with those services. And I can see what that does for the individuals who hire us. And I can see what that does for the market overall. You know, we've, we've all learned over these last few years so much about the supply chain. I, I feel like an almost expert on the supply chain yes. just based on all the disasters that have happened. Yes. And, um, and, and when you have that connection, it, it doesn't have to be something, you know, like for the fitness equipment, you don't have to be uh, a marathoner, but you certainly have to be somebody who cares about exercise and cares about fitness and has, you know, some experience, some story, some, some resonance, even if your fitness is you, you take a walk around the block, you know, once a day. <laughs> Which I do. And, you know, and I could actually sell fitness equipment because I do that, that walk is very important to me and it's how I choose to stay fit. And for people who prefer, you know, some sort of equipment, I could sell that because I understand that feeling. And you use the word, which is, you said you can't measure authenticity, but you know when it exists. When somebody can tell you a story and not facts. Mm. When they have a personal story that rings true, that's authenticity right there. Mm. That That's just such a clear definition. And it's so easy. I think back to a client I had, this was years ago at this point, and I almost cry every time I tell this story, but um, it was a wealth management company. And one member of the team focused her work on widows and divorcees who had never been the primary person in their family unit who managed money. And either their, their relationship status changed or they, they lost their spouse. And suddenly it was, it was this whole part of life that they had inherited that they, they weren't necessarily prepared for. And she had so many stories that she could tell of, you know, I'm the first person that this person called when they decided they were going to get divorced or, you know, we were able to, to help this person as she was dealing with the loss of her partner and the profound grief and, and complexity and chaos that it produces. And we were able to provide her with, with comfort 
and with peace in that period of time. And you could just hear in the stories that she told the the magic and the value of what it is that she was doing with these clients. And I am not somebody who has a level of wealth that requires wealth management. (laughs) And I am fortunate to not be divorced or widowed. But I can connect to that story on such a powerful level. And I can think of my grandma when she lost my grandpa. And he was the one who always managed the money, right? And we're able to, to kind of feel those connections and make those connections when somebody has that authentic experience and, and is in deep alignment with what it is that they're, that they're providing to people. Beautifully said. That's exactly it. And I, I want to hone, this is kind of taking a step back, but I think this is really important. You said, well, we'll come back to this and we're coming back to it. Um, we've talked about a comfort zone. And you said, we don't need to get outside our comfort zone because our comfort zone is where our values live. It's where our talents exist. It's where, it's where you know, we, we, can, we can get stuff done. We can accomplish things. That, that's where all of our experiences and our skills um, live is inside our comfort zone. So what if what's in your comfort zone isn't enough? What if you, you look at your comfort zone, you're like, that's not going to get me very far. Okay, well, that's that's what most people do. And that's I'm saying it's I'm, I'm laughing instead of crying, because we must come from a place of my values and my skills and my strengths are enough. That must mm-hmm. be where we are. Now, if we want more out of life, if we want to learn experiences, have experiences, that's simply a matter of having more of what's in our comfort zone. It's called expanding the comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And I think of this like a rubber band. You know, you get a rubber band out of the box. It's got a certain circumference. That rubber band has give to it. You can gently expand it. And if you don't pull it out too fast, too hard, it'll expand a bit and stay that way. But if you hold it out too far, too hard, too too roughly, mm-hmm. it's going to break. It's mm-hmm. going to snap. We've all used that term. We know when we're about to snap, when there's yep. been too much, right? When we were about to reach our breaking point, we all know that point. That's the only point to be concerned about. Where's your breaking point? Don't go there. Come back in and between your center of your comfort zone and your breaking point, there's a whole lot of space to explore. Mm. Do more of what you're good at. Experience more of your core values. Have an experience more often of feeling fulfilled and purposeful. Do that. You'll find the work that you're meant to be doing. You'll find the people you're meant to be around. And you'll find more than enough activities to do that keep you expanding the comfort zone. Hmm. That's, that's just such a, it sounds simple, right? But I can see how, you know, living that out is a, is a life's work. Um, consistently understanding your comfort zone and making the most of, of what's in your comfort zone and expanding it over time. You know, I can say as a, I grew up in a tiny, tiny, tiny little town in the middle of nowhere, fewer than 2000 people in my hometown and had a very small life my high school graduating class was five. Um, And I had a very small comfort zone. And then when I decided to go to college, I thought about a college that would have been way outside my comfort zone. And I decided instead to go to one that was within, you know, a six hour drive from where my parents were. So I couldn't be home all the time, but I could go home on weekends if I needed to. And it had a similar, um, similar value structure uh, as, as the, the religious upgrade, upbringing I'd had and, and school I had gone to for, for elementary and high school. 
And so it was a step of expanding my comfort zone. And I was able to go from there in, you know, the bustling metropolis of Grand Rapids, Michigan to New York City. And if I had tried to go to NYU, (laughs) I don't think that would have worked pretty well. And maybe I would have been able to handle it. It's amazing what you can do at 17. and, And you do see some people who just thrive. But those stages of expansion... Yes. Really allowed me to not kind of go into shock, not have the those periods of breakdown. And um and you know, I'm I'm pretty happy at where I am when I look back, you know, today. And and you could always think about things you would have done differently, but you know, if you have a pretty limited comfort zone, trying to go kind of zero to sixty. <laughs> That's going to break the rubber band. That's that's exactly it. Too fast, too strong. Yes. Too much. Um, right there, what you just demonstrated that you knew what was perfect for you. So when you said to me a moment ago, Elizabeth, that it's a life's work, of course, it, I'm going to say, of course it is. That's what our life is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Developing our strengths. We hear, see, getting back to sales. Uh, and what I want to change the sales world is a lot of the sales processes rely on what psychologists have talked about regarding human behavior. Mm-hmm. But then I find that they leave out some of the key points. Like it's sort of like they pick and choose what they want to use as support for, you know, learning a script or how to overcome objections or how to manipulate the conversation like they they use some of it not all of it mm-hmm. like how about this we're told we're all unique we know we're all unique i am not like anybody else even twins are not exactly alike so why am i being told to do the same thing that everyone mm-hmm. else is doing how could i possibly do that i'm unique let's embrace that everybody's got a different breaking point. Everybody has a different level of comfort with different experiences. So there's, there's that let's embrace the uniqueness of us. Right. And then each of us has our own approach to things, our own perspective based upon our past experiences and how we choose to view those past experiences in our rearview mirror and how that colors our future. Mm. So that can seem really complicated to a manager is how do I manage all these different people? It's so much easier just to paint them all with the same color and plan that they're <laughs> going to treat them all the same. But you only get a certain amount of success. You as the manager and each human being And this is why there's so much attrition I maintain in the sales world. Sales Mm -hmm. managers, for the most part, have a truly difficult time keeping sales Mm -hmm. teams together. Okay? The the turnover is ridiculous. Yep. But if you, right? This is one of the biggest challenges. Salesman, what's your biggest challenge? Keeping my sales team. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not really that difficult if you allow the human being who's on your team, each human being, to share with you what they're most comfortable doing and what they want to learn how to do better, truly. Not teaching, not saying what we think the manager wants to hear, but creating an environment where they actually can say, okay, I'm really good working with people. You know, my personality style is X. And I know I'm going on a little bit here, but Elizabeth, we all know about personality Mm -hmm. tests, right? Well, why are we not using them more in sales? Why are we using them more to manipulate the prospect instead of identifying our style and how to identify that style in someone else so that we can match people up who are similar rather than using it to control them. Absolutely. I think back, um, this is, this was quite a few years ago as well, but I had a client where instead of organizing their sales team, where everybody had the same expectations 
or even having, you know, we've got this group and they're responsible for all new business generation. We've got this other group and they're responsible for account management. And I'm not saying that's not a good idea. That That's, you know, often a best practice. But instead, they formed these little pods and the pods would be three or four people. And within the pod, they were responsible for generating new business. They were responsible for managing the accounts that they had, for, um, you know, working with uh external partners and um, various other constituencies. And what was so fun to see was when they had new hires, they were able to put a new hire in a pod and they could stick with maybe the kind of behaviors that they were most comfortable with at first and do a lot of observation and a lot of shadowing and over time kind of choose the direction that they wanted to grow and learn in. And you saw some people who, if you were to just list kind of their behaviors, list the the skills, the the comfort zone that they had, one might think that's not going to be a successful salesperson. But instead, they were fulfilling an essential role within that, that little pod and enabling someone else to have space and time to do the other things that, you know, there were people who did all the follow up and did a lot of note taking and a lot of just, you know, um, checking in on people and you can't prospect, you can't, you know, have tons of new meetings if you don't have somebody <laughs> who's, who's taking the notes and somebody who's following up and somebody who's making sure emails get responded to. And um, sometimes that lives in one person, but, but in this team, different people were able to really expand the skills they already had and kind of depend on each other for, for the skills, the areas that were completely outside their comfort zone and where, Yes, they could have done the work. They could have followed the steps and the process, but they wouldn't have been happy. It would have been uncomfortable for them. And they likely wouldn't have achieved the same success as somebody who it came to more naturally. You're making me smile. I want to know who that company is. And (laughs) and that's exactly it. And and one other benefit is they created a community. They had a Mm -hmm. community. Like you're talking about support. Yes. People love, truly, they love to be around other people who accept them for who they are. Mm -hmm. That's community. And community is what keeps people staying somewhere. Right? Yes. If you have community, you're less likely to want to leave it than if you're operating as an individual, you feel like a lone ranger, you might as well go and take yourself wherever it is because you're going to be alone wherever you go. Yep. I think of so many friends that I have who've been in jobs where they weren't super excited about what it was that the company did. Um, And, you know, just some very kind of boring kinds of companies that need to exist in the world, but they aren't exactly things that most people are passionate about. But they had a team that they loved. And going to work every day, they got to work with those people and they got to do things that they were good at. And and I, I have friends who stayed in jobs like that and friends who've left and tried to find things that they were more, you know, that were more exciting and more interesting, but didn't have the right people around them. And they they really want to go back. <laughs> to where they could just be themselves in a team doing something not super exciting, but, but very satisfying and very emotionally fulfilling. My favorite word, emotionally fulfilling with a hyphen, right? Emotionally dash fulfilling. Um, yeah, it's because we get acknowledged, we get mm-hmm. seen the, we've, we've all heard the studies that people will do more for acknowledgement and appreciation than they even will for money. Mm-hmm. And if you can create an environment where right inside the company, people are feeling acknowledged, not just the people who win the awards, everyone being able to feel that experience of they matter no matter what role they do in the, in the firm. Yes. They're going to stick around because their heart is getting what it needs. Their soul is feeling satisfied. And then those are the people who then can go out and provide that acknowledgement and appreciation to prospects and to customers and bring them in. Because that's really when we feel like we're part of a community, we talk about it. Mm-hmm. You can't help yourself. Our customers and our prospects want to be part of that. It's like, whoa, 
that's a company that's doing more than just selling a product. Yeah, it's it's something that, you know, just back to our earlier conversation on authenticity, it, it just comes out in the way people are talking and the way, you know, you can even just see, I think of um, restaurants that you might go into and you see the way the the staff, the, the looks on their faces, the way they interact with each other. And ones where they seem like they're they're having fun, they're friends, versus when they seem like they are, you know, counting, <laughs> counting yes. the minutes, and they yes. know exactly how much money they're going to get for each minute, and they can't wait until they can spend that money <laughs> and not be in front of you. And it's it's such a different experience. And you know, I like to go to places where I feel like I'm not an imposition. <laughs> And, you know, I don't, I don't require, you know, that, that every service worker that I interact with, like bow down and thank me for, <laughs> for my presence. But certainly it's, it's nice when you see, oh, they look like they're having fun. And that means probably as well that they're getting appropriately compensated for the work that they're doing and they have a decent enough working environment. And that's, that's a whole lot better than that experience of just like, wow, I don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. This is awful. <laughs> Yeah. And why? Like in this day and age when we, you know, there's so many different places to go now. There's no shortage, at least in North America, there's no shortage of jobs or opportunities to be a business owner. If you don't want to work for a company, you know, you just want to work for yourself. Um, There's no reason to be in a situation where we are not appreciated. And that's what the whole quiet quitting, you know, Mm -hmm. movement is all about. Folks saying life is way too short to be treated like a number. If you're not going to treat me like a human being, I'll go someplace where they will. Yeah, it's it's funny when I see some people really, really confused about why people might be, you know, so-called quiet quitting. After, I mean, I I don't know anybody who hasn't lost somebody over the last few years. And... If you, if you just, you know, this is, this is getting kind of outside the scope of, of what we're talking about, but if you were to, to look back on your life as you're, you know, about to, about to, to pass away, I don't think you're going to care so much about the, the job that you worked for a period of time that was unpleasant or the ways that you stretched yourself outside your comfort zone and did all these things that made you uncomfortable, but you got technically, um, some, you know, positive feedback for that, or you felt like a part of a part of a group because you were all uncomfortable. But instead, when you think of the the times in your life that you were, that you were happy, and you were content, and you you were living in line with your values, that's, that's a much more powerful thing. And, um, you know, the one of the one of the things that those of us who who've been able to, you know, make it through this time period can definitely value and appreciate about it is certainly it's, it's given us something to think about that, that maybe we were fortunate enough not to have to really think about before. And um, that, that reset, (laughs) that, um, that opportunity to, to really evaluate, um, you know, it's not, it's not comfortable if, if your organization is losing a whole lot of people, but that does at least give you a chance to think, you know, why is it that people aren't fulfilled in, in this environment? Why is it that people don't feel that they can um, speak up and change their situation? So instead they're just going to leave. And those are lessons that as leaders, you know, aren't terribly fun to learn, but we're all still people. And, I think we can all, you know, do the work to put ourselves in the mindset of these people who might be leaving and thinking, you know, why is it that they don't want to work for me? <laughs> because well, it's, it's, I hope so, Elizabeth, because um, as I wrote in the book and selling from your comfort zone, uh, there's been a recent uh, study, I think it was a Harvard Business Review study off the top of my head. One third of all leaders, people in leadership positions in companies, one third responded to a study or a survey about how much they acknowledge, show appreciation to their teams. One third said they never, ever do. Okay. 
So when you say you get confused, it's like right there. Really? You've got a leadership style that never acknowledges the contributions of the people you lead? Are you kidding me? That's okay. just so sad. <laughs> well, and they're getting what they deserve because yeah. those are probably the organizations that people are leaving the fastest right now. Yeah. And it's the thing about appreciating others. Um, I discovered this through research that I did on, on gratitude is when you express gratitude, you feel more gratitude and it increases your happiness. When you express to people what you appreciate about what it is that they did, it actually increases your own happiness. It's not just something you're doing for other people as a burden to you. And, it, you know, it's, it's a mindset of abundance as opposed to scarcity. If you're only celebrating, you know, we closed a deal of this size, let us all praise the person who closed this deal. But you're able to recognize different smaller wins and wins in, in other areas and even acknowledging the effort that somebody might be putting in and not yet getting the result that they're looking for, that's what, that's what helps provide them with the energy, with the, with the, with the motivation to keep going. And it also helps you recognize that good things are happening because if you're waiting until, you know, only when a, a deal over this size is, is closed, do we ever acknowledge anybody? You're going to feel like nothing good is happening. <laughs> and, and that's just a terrible kind of mindset to be in. It's a terrible way to be. I completely agree with you. Yeah, this is um, this is just such a such an important concept, and I I love that um, you know you've written multiple books, and I can tell your 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 concepts have just continued to clarify, and um, and and you're expressing them. You know, obviously, there's differences <laughs> in all the different books that you have, but I can see the theme that goes throughout. Um, what would you say are, are some of the key lessons you've learned about the way people receive the message that you're sharing? Are there, are there different responses that you're getting from people now than you used to? Are there different parts of these concepts that they find easier or more challenging? Well, I'm, I'm going to say no. <laughs> There's no differences. Um, my first book came out 20 years ago. Um, attracting perfect customers was all about helping people understand how to attract rather than chase. Mm -hmm. um, the books in between have been she um, to be was about mindset, how to keep yourself energized in the face of whatever else is happening because too many people don't know how to do that. And mm -hmm. companies suffer when their employees don't know how to self-generate themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, my two books in between that one and Selling from Your Comfort Zone were niche books for the network marketing industry. They're anthologies where I am brought in authors who could talk about the power of saying yes to yourself mm. so that other people want to say yes to you. And so they, they tell their own stories in those two books. So this book is really the culmination, Selling mm -hmm. from Your Comfort Zone is the updated version, and I say it needed an update, Attracting Perfect Customers required an update because we called it attraction marketing back then. But unfortunately, what it was based on, which is the idea of like attracts like, mm has -hmm. actually been utilized so many, it was the first book that ever came out and talked about attraction marketing, by the way. There's lots of people who claim that they were first, but that was the first in 2001. Since that time, people have overutilized the term attraction marketing and slap it like a label mm. onto any other type of marketing. Yes. And there's been so many ways that it, the people teach this is attraction. It has nothing to do with attraction. Like, that's terrible. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a, you know, there, I'm not going to use names of other kinds of marketing formulas out there. And I'm just going to say you don't hear them very much anymore because they kind of went and took over the attraction marketing term and now tell people that's what they've been teaching all along is attraction. It's like, it's, you're not, you didn't teach it then and you're not teaching it now. <laughs> but um, so for me, like I said, changing the sales industry, it was time to not use that term anymore because it doesn't mean what it used to mean. 
Yeah. So I now it's, it's pretty much the same formula that I taught 20 years ago that I'm not the only one teaching it. That's the beauty of, of selling from your comfort zone. I found lots of amazing trainers like Jim Britt, who uh, was Jim Rohn's partner and still is out there teaching this and, and Russ Devan and, I just go on and on with names that people know who they really have been teaching this all along to mm-hmm. stay in your zone. They may not have called it staying in your comfort zone, but their sales approaches actually help people do that. But they don't get the same kind of, you know, fanfare, let's call it that, mm-hmm. as some of these others who like to be controversial. We Mm. know that controversy captures more attention, right? Definitely. But when, when you asked me, how do people respond? I get asked the same question all the time. How can you stay in your comfort zone and be successful? Mm -hmm. Well, if you don't associate comfort zone with laziness, (laughs) if you don't associate comfort zone with sitting on a couch all day and, you know, meditating on your navel, that's not what we're talking about. It's, What are the things that you're comfortable doing and how can you utilize that comfort to be successful in some area of your life? And if you want to be in sales, how do you take what you're comfortable doing, what you know well to do, and then match that to a product or service? And when I say that to people, everybody says to me, wow, I can do that? (laughs) Yeah. You can actually do that easier than what you've been taught to do. Let's just do this, shall we? So I, I'm going to say, no, I don't get a negative feedback. I do I do get people telling me that you have to get out of your comfort zone. But when I explain what I mean by comfort zone, they look at me like, oh, there's just relief in their eyes. And I don't get any more negative feedback about it. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and, and I can just hear again, in your voice, in the, in the history of your books over the years, that your comfort zone and how you've expanded it. And that's, uh, you know, you're, you're really living out what it is that you're, that you're expressing. And um, that's, you know, that, that's a level of authenticity that I think whenever you're thinking of an author or, um, you know, a speaker, uh, a coach of any type to, to see that they're really living out the the approach that they're that they're teaching is um, vitally important. Well, thank you, Elizabeth. I I say being true to yourself, and that's another. We hear this all the time. You're, we're meant to be true to ourselves. So then, why do people tell us to stop being ourselves? It it it's got to that nonsense has to stop. And so, thank mm-hmm. you, thank you for feeling and hearing my passion for this topic. And yes, I've, I've stayed true through all the years to this conversation. And the reason I talk about this in the introduction to the book, Selling from Your Comfort Zone, my father was in sales. And if they had left him alone, he would have been a great salesperson. Mm-hmm. And he is a really great people person living at a time when the sales techniques were taught. Don't be a good, don't be a good people person, oh. right? Don't be a good people person. You be a good people person, they'll take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. So you got to, you know, grow a tougher skin. Be get aggressive. Out there and take control. And it just wasn't true for him. He could not. He did it for a period of time. He couldn't sustain it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's what, you know, to me, um, an example that I kind of come back to when I think of comfort zone is um, things like physical activity, right? So, so it would not be in my comfort zone to run five miles. I, I could probably do it, you know, occasionally, but the more you, the more you go outside your comfort zone without having, um, you know, a plan of, of expanding to get there, it, you're gonna, you're gonna run five miles and you're gonna, you know, pull a muscle, you're gonna yes. hurt your foot. And like, you can, you can sometimes fit yourself into a box. That's not the right box for you. But man, is it less satisfying for you? And you can be so much less successful than when you can leverage the the magic of who you are and the experiences that you've had and the unique background that you have and, and take that and apply it 
to the work that you have, as opposed to trying to kind of scrape, scrape it off and, you know, put on the bland, you know, gray suit to, to get into uh, a role that's, that's not going to be where your, where your comfort zone really fits. It's, I, I love everything you're saying and I agree with it 100%. All right. I can't um, stop this conversation without asking the specific question that um, that really has been sticking in my mind since we last spoke. And it's a specific word, trying and try. And I'd love to hear you just talk a little bit about the idea of trying. Oh, <laughs> I'm, I'm thank you. Uh, one of the worst words in the English language, <laughs> I'm just going to say. <laughs> hate the word. Um, we are taught to try as when we're young, right? Mm -hmm. Just try it. Now it could be eating peas or it could be riding a bike or it could be doing a math problem. Mm -hmm. When people say that to us, they're immediately saying, just try to see if you can do it right now. It seems fine on the surface. But most of the time, we're pretty sure when they're telling us try that they don't expect us to be able to do it either. Yeah. So it has implied in it failure. Mm. So we grow up. And of course, I'm using the we. There are lots of people who this is not true for. There's just so many more people that this is true for based upon my own experience of coaching thousands of people through the years. If they say to themselves they're going to try something, they've already told themselves they're going to fail at it. Mm. How often do they actually do the trying? They don't. Yeah. They don't. They keep saying, I don't understand why I won't try it. Because you already know you're going to fail at it. You've already decided that. So I replace the word trying with three other words. Mm -hmm. Play, explore, discover. When we were young, we didn't try to play. We played. Mm -hmm. Hopefully we had the opportunity to play. We just played with no expected outcome except to play. And through our play, and of course, you know, there's tons of educational toys out there, which will, the, the people who are behind this, the psychologists, will tell you through play, we get to explore and we get to discover. And there's never a failure in exploration or discovery, unless we decide we're going to say that discovery was a failure, then it wasn't. We learned something through it. Mm -hmm. We may now know what not to do next time, but that's gained knowledge. So I say the most valuable gems on earth are knowledge, gained knowledge, and we get them through play, explore, and discover, not through trying. That um, that was so incredibly impactful to me in our initial conversation, and I just I just had to bring that up here because um, they've even proven in research if you give a child a toy that can do ten things and you show them one thing, they're going to do that one thing with the toy. And if you just give them the toy, they're going to do not just those ten things, but they're going to discover five other things that you could use the toy for, including to use it to bang on the wall, right? And um, so often we we set ourselves and we set others up, you know, not for success and for failure and for disappointment. And the idea of when you when you explore something new and you're excited about it. Maybe you want to learn the guitar or you want to start your own business. You know, it doesn't matter what it is. When you're excited, you are discovering, you are playing. And, and it doesn't, you have that expectation. I'm not going to be great at this at first, but I'm going to constantly be learning something new. And as an adult, it's wonderful to be able to have those experiences of, of, you know, gradually stretching your comfort zone and, and learning, discovering new things without that, that, that expectation of, you know, immediate perfection or just that expectation of, I'm not going to like this. This is going to be awful. It's going to be uncomfortable. So I somehow never find time for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, and I'm going to, I'll tell my own personal story on this where I was taught growing up that there is a right way and a wrong way and that's it, right? And I was also taught just try and if I 
couldn't actually, but it was um, kind of like a bait and switch. Just try and everything will be okay. It's like I try and I fail. It Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. You're so, a bad person now. <laughs> right. So I became a perfectionist. I mm-hmm. grew up being somebody who, if she couldn't do it perfectly the first time, didn't do I was locked out of a lot of life, a lot of life. And I was fortunate enough when I was in my mid thirties, I heard Zig Ziglar live at an event and he came out on stage and he starts with anything worth doing is worth doing. And of course, in my head, it's like right the first time, because God, that's how many times I heard that phrase when I was a kid. (laughs) And instead, what he said was anything worth doing is worth doing poorly the first time. Mm. What? Say what? (laughs) Tell me that again. That seems wrong. Yeah. Because he said, because if you're not willing to do it poorly at the beginning, then you don't care enough to learn how to do it right. And I went, yes, exactly. How could I do it right if I don't see what I do and find out what's not right about it so that I can learn and improve upon it? My entire world changed that day. And that's when I decided that I was going to choose three words that would remind me of that for the rest of my life. And that's where play, explore, and discover came from. I chose those words for myself. That's that's just such a beautiful story. And I can picture it. And as somebody who was also kind of socialized to be a perfectionist um, as, a, as a response to the world around me um, and as working to, to change that, it is... Um, it, it, it's just, it limits you in so many ways. You, there are so many things you don't try and you don't do because you, you expect that you won't be good at them because you've, you've learned in the past that you're not. And um, it's not a very, it's not a very fun. It's not a very exciting, big way of living. Definitely. Not All right. I'm looking at the clock and realizing we, we could probably keep going forever, but uh, I'll, I'll start to wind things down. So a question I always like to ask is, what are some trends that you're keeping an eye on? It could be very specifically kind of in this world of, of sales and marketing or just, you know, things that you're noticing in the world of work. Um, well, one trend is becoming, and you mentioned it earlier when you talked about supply chain and the changes that are happening to the supply chain, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't, I at the risk of dating this podcast, since we are looking into the future, I think we can all know that things are going to get tighter before they get better for Mm -hmm. a variety of reasons. And I won't go into those details. All you have to do is turn on the news and see that. So I think products are going to become less important, a, a, a reliance on products or a, a desire for products. Mm hmm will shift. I'm not, I mean, in some cases people will covet them even more. And I think the vast majority are going to put more emphasis on acquiring knowledge, which is why I said they're precious gems because knowledge you can grab from, you know, it can be delivered in a variety of ways that doesn't depend on trucks (laughs) and trains and ships. Right. And, um, and it's also something that allows us to be able to have new experiences of ourselves. So I, I really believe the the sharing more podcasts will come on, more books will be produced, more listening to each mm-hmm. other is a trend. That and then along those lines of listening, I think consultation, mm-hmm. true, true, um, which you demonstrated in the pods of being able to hear other people's perspectives. And I, I bet like people listening to this today are like, are you kidding me, Stacey? No, we're more polarized than ever. I, I really believe that at a certain point, the, the pendulum's going to swing back. Mm-hmm. And we'll get to a point where we'll say it's more important to understand another person than it is to be right. And I, I said, my husband and I were walking the dogs this morning. And we have gotten to know a couple of people who have dogs in the dog park and we have a lot of fun with them. If we had met them under other circumstances without dogs, we, we probably wouldn't have met them. We travel in different circles. 
Mm-hmm. But because we stop and we spend time, we let the dogs run, we've, we've chosen to find topics, right, to talk about. And in that, we stay focused on the topics that we enjoy together, and we don't ever talk about anything that we're not sure about, or we might be sure is not going to, you know, be pleasant to talk about. Well, the more we focus on what we enjoy together, the greater the friendship is coming. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to happen more and more. People are going to be looking for points of connection. Mm. And uh, I, I, I pray I'm correct. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, to, to just beat this analogy <laughs> to death, but um, the, the idea of a comfort zone within a relationship and you, you have the ability to expand that comfort zone, but it can be, if you, if you try to, you know, push it too far too fast, that's when you see the relationship break yes. and, you know, to be able to have a, a difficult conversation with somebody about something where maybe you disagree, where their values don't align with yours or where you don't understand where they're coming from or, or vice versa. Um, certainly you could just go up to the street, you know, to somebody on the street and, and say that, but um, there's not likely going to be any real understanding or, or behavior change unless it's people who are within a comfort zone with that person who are able to expand and, and have that conversation in a way that there's trust and understanding and the, the belief and desire that you both want the best for each other. Um, it, it's much more likely to be a successful conversation. Um, if you, if you're able to kind of create that, that zone of, you know, comfort of trust. Exactly. And you can't, it's, it's been proven. People will purchase from people they trust. Mm -hmm. So trying to sell before the trust is in place leads to no's leads to having to say, well, when can I follow up with you? When would you (laughs) like me to get back with you? If you take your time, I mean, that takes more time, all that follow-up after the fact, which is, again, another myth. It's like, sell first, and then, you know, if they're not ready, you can keep following up with them. Why would I want to do that? Why don't I build relationship first? And when we get to a point of trust, if they're staying in conversation with me, if they want to keep communicating with me, they're eventually going to say to me, tell me more about your product or tell me more about your service. Because there's, they're liking how the friendship is going. They're building trust with me and vice versa. It's going to lead to, okay, you're, you represent a company that sells a product. I'm somebody who buys that product. We're friends now. Tell me more about your product. It actually goes much faster than the other way. Absolutely. The number of times um, I've talked to people in sales who just feel like they spend their entire lives, their entire work days chasing, chasing, chasing. Um, maybe that is somebody's comfort zone. I feel bad for them if that's the case. It's a, it's a very unpleasant place to be. Um, all right. Uh, last question to is, do you have any resources that you would recommend for our listeners? It can be things that you've, you've really learned from. Obviously, your books are on that list. But um, anything you would recommend that listeners check out? Well, yes, I'm going to say anything that taps you into learning more about your own values and Mm -hmm. anything that supports you in being able to stay true to yourself. Those, I mean, there's tons of books, you know, authors upon authors. Find something that will support you being able to be true to yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm going to give a shout out to my publisher um, because they publish lots of books that are in that field and in business. That's one of the things that they really hold as a mission is to be on the leading edge of books that bring truth that mm-hmm. has been lost, let's say, or doesn't get talked about enough. So whether you're looking to be a servant leader or you're looking for, you know, how to do anything better in business or in life, Barracolor Books, uh, that's the publisher, BK 
Publishing, Barrett Kohler Publishing, any of the authors, any of the books in their, at their website, I can highly, highly recommend. Huh, that's wonderful. And that's, um, to, to be working with a partner like that um, must be just incredibly satisfying. If listeners want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you, Stacy? It's really easy. I have a website. It's Stacy S-T-A-C-E-Y, and A-N-N, Hall, H-A-L-L dot com, StacyAnnHall dot com. My books are there. My I've got some free courses for people. One's called Eight Steps to a Sale. It's absolutely free. You can download it from there. Um, you can learn more about my background. You can connect with me and I have a blog too, and you can connect with the blog from that website as well. Wonderful. Well, thank you so, so much for speaking with me today, Stacy. I have so enjoyed our conversation. I've learned and discovered a lot and I know our listeners will as well. It has been pleasure for me. Thank you. Thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything Stacy and I have been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, six, three. If you enjoyed the show, please recommend us to a friend. That's the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't yet subscribed, make sure to do that now. You can subscribe for free wherever it is that you're listening. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or email us if you've got direct feedback, questions, or guest suggestions at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com slash insights. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Ryland Sylvester. Happy selling!